Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, Magic and Alchemy is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lissenby. Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of the Magic and Alchemy Podcast. I'm Kristen Lisenby. And I'm excited and Kate Blue. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are, a new season, um, same faces, same voices, but a little more energized and refreshed Mm -hmm. from a summer spent floating around and traveling and napping and resting and reading and writing. But I'm so happy to be back with you, Kate, my favorite co-host. How are you doing? I'm so, so happy. Happy that we're here. Happy for season three. So excited, like I said. Um, But seriously, I cannot believe this is like our our 72nd episode, which is just so wild to me. It really is. Um, And so should we give people a few hints about what to expect in season three? Yeah, definitely. Um, So we have been, listeners, talking to the Witch Wide Web and the lineup of guests uh, for this fall is just a sight to behold. So excited to introduce you to these writers and witches and magic makers. And then we're going to have a series of tales this fall. And so, you know, let's just say that they're going to be creature-sized, question mark? (laughs) Hint, hint. (laughs) You listeners also requested more mythology and spooky stories, goddess tales, spell-casting walkthroughs, You also just told us you love learning about all the aspects of witchcraft and paganism and magic, so we're definitely going to incorporate more of these elements into Season 3. Definitely. And in a little format change in addition here, Kristen and I thought that it would be really fun to feature a listener question every episode and also to share a little bit of witchy knowledge at the top of the episode. So if you have things you'd like us to touch on or have questions, please send them along to podcast at tamedwild.com or to our DMs on Instagram. So today for our witch tip, we're talking Hecate's key. So I want to share with you a little bit about this goddess, Hecate. She's the goddess of witches, the crossroads, hellhounds, and plant magic, and she's often associated with the symbol of the key. So why is this? Because she is known as the gatekeeper, one of the goddesses who keeps the keys between this world and the underworld. So when working with her, consider bringing in a key or a key-like element onto your altar or in your ritual. Yeah, I actually keep a collection of old skeleton keys on my mm. altar for this very purpose. Um, you know, connecting with gatekeepers like Hecate and also past selves and ancestral work. I love it. So what do we have from one of our listeners today? We received a lot of questions about fitting a magical practice into a busy daily schedule. So what advice do you have? 
Well, I think that's such a great question. I think mm-hmm. that I have a reframe, though, instead of a response. So instead okay. of fitting a magical practice into a busy day, what about making the busy day a magical practice in itself? Mm-hmm. So I suggest wearing colors and clothing that make you feel magical, you know, even if it's just a secret necklace or intentional fingernail polish. You can build a small altar at your desk that you can see and tend to while you're working, you know, saying hello and learning the names of the trees on your way to work, on your commute. And while big elaborate rituals are fun, it is the mundane that is the most potent to me. What do you think, Kristen? Oh, I agree with all of this. So yes to everything you just said. And I know we've talked about this before, but as we get older and, you know, just witchcraft has become a more integral part of our lives. The spells get simpler and that's not to say they're less effective. And, you know, like mm-hmm. we're always ready to take part in group ritual work when the time calls or more elaborate spells. But So much of the magic I'm calling into my life involves greeting plants and Mm -hmm. feeding the birds, braiding my newly harvested onions, um, taking like a 10 minute break from work, you know, a few times a day to really zoom out, observe my surroundings, reconnect with breath, and just remind myself what energies I want to work with because the more I'm able to do that, the more I realize that these little gestures are spells. Mm-hmm. And it keeps me open to receiving messages and you know, just sort of like finding my place within the magical, invisible web of creation. Absolutely. And we would also love your thoughts, listeners, on how you make space for magic in your own lives. So if you have any tips, write to us and we'll pick a few to share. But for now, what's on the agenda today? So glad you asked. Today, we are going to discuss some of the symbols that encompass the essence of the second harvest and the autumn equinox, aka we're getting our hands a little bit dirty. Yes, and for anyone who wants to hear more about the history of Mabon, the Green Man, the Dying God, and other harvest deities, check out episode 33 from season two. looking at the fields as Mabon approaches. Although I adore the rolling green hills that are prevalent during spring and early summer, in my humble cottage witch opinion, part of the magic of harvest season lives in the rust-colored fields and crispy plants that somehow become more beautiful, more alluring as they approach their end. Can we pause here so I can buy my plane ticket? (laughs) Your room awaits please come play. But in the symbolic sense, a farmer's fields represent spaciousness and the limitless potential that lay before us. Perhaps this is why so many deities are associated with agriculture. Even those who aren't considered earth gods and goddesses might be tasked with watching over our fields, protecting crops, and ensuring a bountiful harvest for their followers. If fields are sacred, then it goes without saying that the farmer, or anyone who works with plants or the earth, is a guardian of sorts. They're an agricultural catalyst, an expert in death and regeneration. According to some theorists, 
farming was necessary for human survival, but also for the, quote, emergence of a cosmic consciousness. Mm. I think the words agricultural catalyst are so beautiful, sewn together. Right. I want to add it to my resume. Mm. Mircea Iliade, the late Romanian historian, philosopher, and author, suggested that, quote, what man saw in the grain, what he learned in dealing with it, what he was taught by the example of seeds changing their form when they are in the ground, that was the decisive lesson. One of the main roots of soteriological optimism was the belief of prehistoric agricultural mysticism that the dead, like seeds underground, can expect to return to life in a different form. End quote. My husband often refers to our garden as a school. I call it an altar, and perhaps we could see it as a combination of the two, maybe a temple or a sacred space where we're working hand-in-hand with the spirit world, or at the very least, dipping our toes into the cosmic web of creation and destruction. We see the same sentiment mirrored in tarot when grain imagery appears within our cards, as grain is said to represent the cycle of life, as well as material, spiritual, and creative abundance. If we use the Rider Waite tarot, or the more aptly named Coleman Smith tarot deck, grain appears throughout the suit of pentacles, and also on the Empress card. In the third enigma of the major arcana, the Empress, our Earth Mother, sits on a throne surrounded by grain. As she is literally surrounded by abundance, we have to assume that the Empress is a harvest deity. She knows it by nurturing and learning the life cycle of plants and the need for sacrifice and harvest. We understand more about our own cycles. It's also said that grain imagery in tarot is representative of our soul and how it may change shape, direction, experience growth and decay, drop seeds and return to source, yet it endures. And we can see this in the symbolism of Virgo as well. Um, you know, with Virgo season beginning on or around August 22nd each year, and then the sun shifting into Libra season on or around September 22nd. However, Virgo, the great goddess, is the sun's companion during the first harvest right up until the gate of the second. The brightest star of the constellation of Virgo is named Spica, which is Latin for head of grain. She's been variously identified as a fertility or a harvest goddess, Ishtar, Persephone, Demeter, and others. That's so interesting, and I'm so happy you mentioned this because another connection that just came to me um, is that in some of the imagery depicting the Eleusinian Mysteries, which was another name for Demeter and Persephone's mystery cult in ancient Greece, uh, where you would learn secrets from the goddesses. Uh, But in some of that imagery, Demeter is often shown holding a handful of grain and offering it to her priestesses. Mm. Something else that to me really screams harvest season, specifically, you know, around this time, the autumn equinox, is spiders. And for city witches or people who haven't spent much time in the country, allow me to warn you that there is such a thing as spider season and it's happening right now. You are just like speaking some people's nightmares into existence here, Kristen, but I love it. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm hoping to change some minds because I know some of us have an aversion to our eight-legged friends, but farmers, those who work with the land, likely view them as helpers. 
in the practical sense. Spiders are an important part of our ecosystem. They make themselves at home in our gardens. And without us having to do anything, they'll start trapping and eating aphids, mosquitoes, flies, moths, all sorts of other insects that can hinder plant health. In the symbolic sense, spiders are even more fascinating. Numerologically, their eight legs and eight eyes suggest balance and forward momentum. And when the number eight is laid on its side, we get the symbol for infinity. If we're drawn to sacred geometry, we're probably obsessed with the arachnid's web. The spider weaves a web that is reminiscent of a translucent, dainty yet resilient spiral net converging towards a central point. It reminds me of a spiral or labyrinth, which we talked about in episode 31. And so I went back and revisited that conversation. And Kate, I love how you said, quote, This spiral, like a serpent wrapped around the Orphic egg, is a symbol of being both bound and free at the same time. It's a symbol of our own inner life force and creativity, mm. end quote. And so when I think of this spider who not only maneuvers a spiral with ease, but also creates it again and again, each time the weather or humans or some other thing destroys it, um, this web becomes a symbol for this creative, semi-invisible force that sustains our existence. And the spider, you know, is the one pulling the strings. And I think to a certain extent, this is a beautiful analogy for like the whole of humanity that as the spider builds her web, we too are responsible for building our own world, no matter how many times we have to start over. In Greek mythology, spiders are associated with the goddess Athena, which we see in the myth of Athena and Arachna, a story that is up on the Tamed Wild blog if anyone is interested. The spider's web has also been compared to a wheel, and in some cases, a spinning wheel, which ties into the spider's association with the fates, the divine weavers of destiny. While the spider goes by many names and manifestations, the more we research, the more we see that the spider is another face of the goddess, which is perhaps why the spider is considered a lunar creature. In some myths and legends, the moon is a gigantic spider, and in others, the spider is the moon's messenger. There is an anonymous folktale called Spider Hair and the Moon, where a spider is tasked with delivering the moon's wisdom to humanity. And the messages are different, depending on which version we read, but the essence is that the moon wants to inform humans that at some point they will all die, but also that they need not worry. Unfortunately, the quick-moving hair gets in the way, offers to deliver the message on behalf of the spider because he's so much faster. But the problem is he only delivers the first half of the message that all humans are going to die, which of course creates all sorts of confusion and chaos. And the spider is left spinning in the corner, weaving the moon's messages into her web and hoping that humans will be wise enough to read them in their entirety. I also found an interesting real-life story, if you will, about someone who was able to decipher some of the spider's wisdom. According to one famous story, Robert the Bruce, who was the King of Scots from 1309 to 1329, was resting after his latest unsuccessful battle against English troops. 
Robert the Bruce had pretty much given up hope, but while resting in a cave, um, or some people say he was in his bed, he began watching a spider who was trying to build a web. She would spin her silk, hop from one area to the next, but there was one spot that she kept falling from. But the spider kept at it, and even though the king thought it was a pointless endeavor, eventually she finished her web, and when he saw her success after so many failures, um, you know, similar to Scotland's many defeats against England, the king got up and went back to his troops and eventually helped Scotland gain independence from England. In many instances, it's considered poor luck to intentionally kill a spider good luck to let a spider live, and even better luck if you incorporate them into your magical practice. Hence the phrase from an old English nursery rhyme, if you wish to live and thrive, let a spider run alive. Mm, I love that. This reminds me of something actually that Shelby um, told me once, and she said that if you rescue a spider and then you free it outside, you get to ask it one question. So as you go free it, you can whisper the question to the spider and then wait three days for your question to be answered. Yes, I think she was working through a fear of spiders (laughs) herself. And honestly, these stories and practices have been so helpful, um, even for me, when it comes to reframing my understanding of these you know, quote, scary creatures. I think on season one, I talked a little bit about that wolf spider that I found yes. in my lap in the woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ah, I think about that so much still. Terrifying, yeah. but beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and have you ever come across a Nanzi, the spider? My mom used to read me a Nanzi stories as a kid. I don't think so. Mm, yeah, Anansi is um, a folktale character. Um, he's from, you know, stories, wisdom, knowledge, and creation, and he takes the shape of a spider. Um, he's sometimes considered to be, like, the god of all knowledge of stories. And so when he is this trickster character, he's one of the most important characters of West African, African-American, and Caribbean folklore. So definitely some incredible stories to look into when, when I I go home, I'm definitely going to have to go find them because I just remember having these beautiful illustrated versions of them. Yes, you'll have to share. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was doing my research, the spider as a trickster comes up a lot and mm-hmm. I can totally see that. Um, it feels sort of like a Baba Yaga type trickster, like they can be helpful, but only if we pass their tests first. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, in the true fashion of us not speaking about what we're researching during the week, but having inextricably linked topics, yep. <laughs> today I would like to focus on dirt. So the foundation of those fields of wheat and grain is the soil itself. The life-giving home of roots as the autumn equinox approaches, I can hear the earth calling. Packed with minerals, decomposition, growth, and worms, the bodies of the ancestors, the bones, the soil is magic. And while dirt and soil may seem commonplace, it literally covers our planet. It has been used ritually and magically across many cultures, so that inclination you had as a child to make potions out of mud wasn't far off. Dirt, soil, and sand, the magical earth of the desert, appear to support both benevolent and malevolent magic from two sides of the same coin. Dirt is cleansing, clearing, and freeing, while also binding, used for hexes and ill will. 
In Ozark Folk Magic, Brandon Weston writes of both left and right-handed magical practices. So in this case, the left-handed practitioners working with hex magic and right-handed workers with the benevolent magic, you know, not actually right or left-handedness, just as a side note. But um, burying, and this is a quote from the book, Burying items or ingredients in the ground has traditionally been done for one of two reasons. First, the ground itself is seen as a place of cleansing and renewal. Patients who are severely cursed or even sometimes buried in the ground for a certain amount of time and then brought back up, leaving the curse behind. Certain items associated with healing work might be buried for a client in order to add the healing power of earth to the ritual. Second, the ground is often used to conceal certain cursed items so that a person walks over the area, they will pick up the curse on their feet. Because the earth is seen as a purifying location, burying objects or people in the ground is often considered a cleansing act. For example, taking healing material related to a client and burying them in the ground for safekeeping. This also adds the literal quality of grounding to the work, or keeping the work in a practical, concrete realm. In some cases, the client themselves might be buried either partially or entirely for a given amount of time. If the entire body is buried, the client will usually be wrapped in a white sheet to keep them from getting dirty and to connect the work to the burial process. The head is almost always left uncovered, or at least the face, so that the client can breathe normally. This is intended to be a moment of self-reflection and meditation. The burial almost always occurs at night, and the healer will sit either beside the grave or sit nearby to keep their client calm. After the prescribed amount of time, the healer will dig up their client. The healer usually washes the client head to toe with fresh spring water. The cleansing ritual is then complete. This entire act mimics the death and burial process itself. It follows the idea of death and rebirth as a healing act. The client dies with their illness, is purified in the earth, then is finally reborn and washed clean. This ritual is still used in cases of strong illness or cursed conditions. Left-handed workers might use similar method, but their intention is to hurt their victims. Hex items like dirt taken from a graveyard might be buried near a person's front door, so they will walk over it, thereby picking up the curse. In ritual also involving animal parts, a worker might stuff a goat's heart with the hair of their victim and then put it in a small black coffin and bury it in a graveyard, thereby cursing their victim to have an early death themselves, end quote. Ozark folk magic is in conversation with healing traditions of our country, which many have intertwined and come from the traditions of root work and conjure. Root work and conjure also honor the earth and soil as a sacred tool. However, these magical traditions are ancestral-based and closed, so if you've not been initiated into this tradition, please respect these practices and, and do not appropriate this lineage. Outside of our country here and across history, texts show that the ancient Egyptians worked with dirt and images of their fantastic burials come to mind when thinking about the earth and working with earth as sacred. From The Mechanics of Ancient Egyptian Magical Practice, a paper written at the University of Chicago by Robert Kreik Rittner, quote, 
By virtue of its early appearance from the receding floodwaters, sand was intimately associated with the creation of the Egyptian cosmos and hence with all creative acts. As a purifying substance, sand is thus used in the foundations and foundation deposits of magical rites, is offered to deities, and even serves in the composition of divine figures and as a platform for magical images, lamps, bowls, and the embalming of the apis bull. In funerary contexts, sand is a basic requirement in tomb construction and is early ritualized as an obvious symbol of the desert necropolis. Negatively, sand is an omnipresent weapon for the binding of enemies and as such is feared by the deceased and used to repel demons, end quote. In my own studies, I've worked with dirt as a way to connect with the earth element when building elemental altars to symbolize the north, or in simple cleansing rituals. One of my favorite things to do when my rings feel a bit heavy is to cleanse them in a pot of earth. A simple earth meditation I do is when I feel anxiety and I ask the earth to kind of help me metabolize this energy and, you know, to take it and and grow a flower somewhere with that excess feeling, kind of flower alchemy. And I know we've spoken a little bit about working with seeds and earth as a way to set intentions in the past too, so listeners, definitely head over to Seed Magic, our Seed Magic episode, If the Earth is Calling to You. And so, Kristen, I have to ask you, are you a dirt witch? I mean, yes, of course, (laughs) right? I knew it. (laughs) I think when we were guests on the Missing Witches podcast, they asked what kind of witches we were, and I fully identified myself as a dirt witch. Oh, that's right. Um, You totally did. (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, how could I not be, you know, just living on a farm? Mm -hmm. But like you said, you know, from a superficial standpoint, dirt is nothing new to us. But I sort of think of the earth like I think of the cosmos. You know, there's like an entire Mm -hmm. universe that lives beneath our feet that really doesn't get that much credit outside of the gardening world. But Our soil is one of the most supportive tools available to us, not just for the obvious mention of helping us grow food, but for purifying and renewing or resetting that which we bury within Mm. and grounding, uh, rebalancing our own bodies through contact with the earth is very real. Mm -hmm. Uh, From a scientific standpoint, there's so much evidence discussing the invisible exchange between our bodies, releasing excess positively charged ions, uh, which we absorb from free radicals in our environment, Mm -hmm. and in turn, taking on more negatively charged ions from the earth, uh, which, you know, releases stress and brings our bodies back into balance and alignment with Mother Nature. So yeah, definitely, definitely a dirt witch. Listeners, go barefoot when you can. Mm -hmm. And Kristen, that was that was really beautiful. Thank you. Um, Before we go, I would love to share these last lines of a poem by Araceli Skirme called Kingdom Animalia, if that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, body, be held now by whom you love. Whole years will be spent underneath these impossible stars when dirt's the only animal who will sleep with you and touch you with its mouth. I love thinking about dirt, the animal, touching us with its mouth into eternity. In the autumn, we move toward the death of the death and rebirth cycle, and in this way, we return to the earth, foreshadowing our own true and certain deaths. 
coming close to the veil and to the space between this world and the next, the soil is a portal. At its gates, the roots, the worms, and the bones, reminding us that this is our home. for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog tamedwild.com previously known as magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode where Kristen and I sit down with a very special guest. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time.